I'm Steve McLeod and this is Bootstrapped. It's a podcast for people running bootstrapped software companies or wanting to run one. I run two bootstrapped software products, Feature Upvote, which lets your customers vote on ideas to improve your product, and Sabre Feedback, which offers a feedback widget you can add to your website. Follow along as I learn from talking to other bootstrappers and experts, and just maybe you'll learn something too. Do you send your customers a regular email newsletter? If not, you probably should. An email newsletter is a great way to stay in touch with customers, improving loyalty and decreasing churn. But which email newsletter service is best for you? When I was trying to choose which service to use for Feature Upvote's monthly newsletter, I turned to Email Tool Tester. Email Tool Tester's reviews helped me find the best option for my needs. Best of all is their deliverability study. Email Tool Tester regularly tests all the major email services to find out which ones actually get your emails into your customer's inbox. You can check it out at emailtooltester.com slash deliver. That's emailtooltester.com slash deliver. Joining me today is frequent co-host Ed Freifogel. Hey Ed, how's things with you and OpenCage? Ah, same old, same old. Every day is the same here. We're, we're drifting through our quarantine. Um, the, it's on the personal side, going slow, steady slide down the, uh, down the slope to insanity. Um, but on the business side, <laughs> Aren't we all? Yeah, business side, things are going, going okay. I would say, um, you know, things holding steady, no, no dramatic major incidents of any, of either neither positive nor negative. We're working on a big content marketing push, so hoping to get that out next week, um, which is kind of a first for us, so, so that's kind of a big thing. A couple other smaller projects that have been going on, but but nothing really dramatic. So, what about you? Keeping busy, of course, it's like you, it's uh, resisting the slide into insanity and trying to manage the whole COVID situation, especially as we're still stranded 16,384 kilometers from home. We discovered last night that Emirates is, has started running flights from Melbourne, where we're stranded, to Dubai, and from Dubai to Madrid, which is not quite home, but it's you know, it's within the same country. Problem is, they're not allowing you to do transit. We'd have to go to Dubai, stay there for two weeks in quarantine, oh then do the next leg on to Madrid. Yeah, I might. <laughs> so um, I'd give that a miss, dude. I mean, the thing is, you're not, you're really not missing anything here in Spain. No? <laughs> We'd like to be home. I want to. I want my guitar and my Xbox and see my friends at least from a distance. Yeah, but there is another airline. Yeah, the thing is, after day one, you'll be like, I'm sick of my freaking guitar. Like, I, want to get out of it. <laughs> I mean, honestly, just buy a guitar in Australia, and, and it, you'll be better off. Uh, no, I'm tempted. There's also uh, the same airline, Emirates, is doing transit flights from Australia to the UK which would be pretty good, except we'd still have to get from the UK to, to Spain, and that's all up in the air. Nobody knows what's going on, so we're staying put in Australia for, for now. So that's um, that's personal life. Business-wise, hey, I so far it's looking like it's going to be best month ever. After a couple of slow months, things have really kicked in again so far for uh, 
March, we're talking, sorry, May, we're talking in mid-May. I don't know why that is, but I'm not complaining about it. Is that um, across both your products taken together or one individual or what? No, it's not across both, actually. That's feature upvote. Uh, Sabre, nothing much is happening there yet. And I'm expecting that to stay the case until we really get our act together with getting the new content going on our website. But yeah, feature upvote, it's it's, it's like all the bits have come together and uh, people are opening their wallets again, Wow! at least Um, when it comes to feedback tracking software. Fantastic. I mean, is that one particular thing that you did or you have no idea or is it just one or two big customers showed up randomly or no i I have no idea why it's happening you just keep doing the same things you know improving our content time after time i have been experimenting with ads a little bit but i don't think that's had a factor yet because i don't really know what i'm doing i find that quite frustrating i mean in the sense that like Obviously, it's great that you're having a good month, and, and but often we mm-hmm. would we would have that, and it, it's kind of annoying that you can't pin yeah. it down to anything, you know. So you don't know, like, oh, yeah. what, should, what things should I keep doing, or what should they do more of, or what can I stop doing? It, it's um, we very often have that same situation where it's, yeah, that's a good point. If I knew what was making it go well, I would do more of it and less of the things that are not helping. Yeah, and and partially one one frustration I have, especially with things like SaaS, where you're kind of building an infrastructure tool, is I I think a lot of it is branding, in the sense that people mm-hmm. people somehow get exposed to your brand, and then six months later when they actually are in the market for your service, then they remember it or whatever. So it's so difficult to tie it back together, you know, and say like, oh, what was the thing that led them to to become yeah. a customer? And it's it's deeply frustrating. That you're kind of flying right. Like we could be benefiting from something we did six months ago Absolutely. and at the time wrote it off as pointless, but now we're getting the results. Yeah. C'est la vie. So it goes. Hey, let's move on to today's topic, security, and more specifically, website security for bootstrappers. I think this is sometimes given short shrift or ignored, but it is a really important issue. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. It is it is a critical issue, particularly as I said, if if you're providing a product like us where it's kind of infrastructure that your customers are relying on. They wanna of course they wanna know that it's dependable and does what it does what it's supposed to do, but obviously security is a key factor there. They wanna be able to have full confidence that there aren't gonna be any issues around the software. So Yeah. And as soon as you have an application on the web, there's people trying to hack it and this data that people don't want to be spilled. So the trigger for this topic in particular is that you've just published a security bounty program on your website. Tell us about it, why you've done this, what led to it and what you're hoping to achieve. Well, we, for a long time now, like let's say the last year, we get approached again and again by security researchers who are people trying to- Is that security researchers in ear quotes or are they real genuine security researchers? Well, I mean, they are real, (laughs) they're real people. (laughs) As to what level of, of credentialing they have, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what makes you an official security researcher beyond that you claim to be one. But, you know, sometimes these people would kind of send us legitimate bugs and things. And so we would engage with some of these people and then and pay some of them for, for making us aware of different things that we could improve. Um, you know, I'm very happy to say none of these were ever like critical security issues. It's more like uh, places where we're deviating from the best practice and things like that, um, or if we're running software that's kind of uh, out of date. Or, um, so we would kind of engage with these people in an ad hoc way, and it, it started becoming more and more. The problem is then I think once you once you actually pay someone 
you know, I think these guys all hang out together and you would get into their list of like, oh, this company will pay. And so we would get inundated with these, with these uh... requests. And so occasionally some of which would produce, as I said, valid suggestions for improvement, but but a lot of it's just noise. So then we thought, well, how can we channel this a bit better? And so now we published a clear um, security guidelines and a security bounty program. And so hopefully by doing that, we will, you know, people can see what we consider a valid bug and what we don't and which things we'll pay for and which things we won't. Um, although literally like two days after we launched it, someone, one guy contacted us and was like, do you have a security bounty program? And like, it's linked on the footer of every single page. So I'm like, you know, friend, if, if you can't even find the security bounty program, you're not a very good security bounty researcher. But, um, <laughs> But, you know, it, it's, we, I, I think it also has, or I'm hopeful it also has kind of um, a subtle marketing effect as well. So that when potential customers, particularly bigger customers come to our site, you know, they, they'll see, oh, okay, these guys take security seriously and are, are doing, are working on it. Um, because, you know, whether, whether you have a bounty program or not, you need to be taking security seriously. And so by, by not being public about it, then you, you run the risk of, let's say, creating doubt in the minds of potential customers. Um, so it's uh, a stamp of authority, one of those many little things on the website that adds up to say, this is a company I can do business with. That's our hope. That's our hope. I mean, on the other hand, you also have to keep the perspective in the sense that our service, my service is an API to give away open data. Okay. I'm, I'm literally yeah, and it's read-only, exactly. right? It's read-only. I'm giving away data that is freely available on the internet. So, you know, yeah. we're, we're not a bank. I'm not, um, you know, we don't have any payment information. All of that is, of course, stored with Stripe. So, you know, you need to you need to keep the perspective as to what's inappropriate. How much, well, but how still, much still your username and passwords, so for example, they're, they're valuable because people do still reuse password from site to site. So if they get into your site and get your passwords and then they can try to use that password on the person's email address or something like that. Well, that is that is absolutely the case. And of course we do have people's email address, which under GDPR is um, personal data. And so if someone were to like get in, we would have to announce that, you know, we had to have a security breach and things like that. But, um, but, on the other hand, we, you know, all we have from our customers is an email address. We don't have, uh, you know, their payment information or things like that. So, um, nevertheless, of course, we want to do a good job of security. But you've got to find the balance because if you want, you can spend the rest of your lifetime just working on security. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, we thought we could, um, by publishing a, an official bounty program, we would, we could, um, you know, channel this incoming stream of noise a bit better. And hopefully make it a bit more um, more useful for us and, and, and productive. So, just in case I want so, to become a security consultant, air quotes, um, or not air quotes, what type of uh, bounties are you offering? Are they generous? Should I put aside feature well, upvote? Well, we don't. It it, it it depends on the bug. Um, we don't publish an official amount. Um, in general, I would say we're paying people for like a. You know, for for a non-urgent bug where you're just going to make us aware of like, oh, you're not following this best practice or something, um, probably fifty euro or so, mm -hmm. um, in that range. Most of these guys, at least most of the guys that we've been dealing with, are are guys in India. So fifty euro, you know, maybe a meaningful sum to them. But I would say it's kind of in the fifty to hundred euro range. I mean, to give you an example of some of the types of bugs that we have, um, you know, like it's best practice if your server 
doesn't return the exact version number of the server. Okay. Okay. And our server, and some of our servers do. So okay, so we change that so it doesn't return, you know, the exact version number of the server. It's like, you know, you yeah. can have a whole debate about like, yeah. is that really a security issue or not? Or um, you know, uh, or for example, you know, um of course, we, we, we serve our pages via um, SSL, so HTTPS, and there, you know, there are all kinds of different versions of HTTPS, and some of them are deemed more safe or less safe than others. And so a lot of these guys, what they do is, um, and, and I've seen this because they, they have screenshots that they send you when they discover a bug, you know, they're just running a standard software against your site. Yeah. And the software will test 2,000 different things, and you know, if one of them comes up red, then they'll send it to you and be like, I discovered this major bug. But the thing is, though, sometimes they are legitimate things, yeah. and, and so in that regard, they do, they do provide a use. But a lot of these guys, when we interact with them, you can tell they have no idea what our site does, who we are, they, you know, they haven't thought it through. And to give you an example, like one guy was like, you know, oh, you have this bug, this is an urgent bug, you need to like, you know, if you don't, if you don't fix this, this can be compromised in this way. Um, and then it's not like, okay, we agree with that. Send us an invoice for 50 euro or whatever. And then the guy can't, doesn't know how to produce an invoice. Like he can't, he'll, he'll like, oh, here's my account. I'm like, oh no, I need an actual invoice for my account. And, and then, so for, we pay via TransferWise and for TransferWise to send a transfer to India, sometimes it asks you for the birth date of the recipient. So I read back to the guy, I'm like, look, I'm going to pay you, but I need your birth date. Um, and, you know, almost all of them are like, let's say 19, 20 years old, computer science students, I guess, or, or whatever. Um, and so they have no real world experience of like operating in a business mm -hmm. and things. And that's what I mean. Like they can send me this thing like, oh, this bug is highly critical, blah, blah, blah. You know, you're going to be compromised. And then I'm like, okay, produce an invoice. And they have no idea what an invoice is or how to, you know, <laughs> and they're just like, all right, man, come on. Um, and, and it's actually kind of funny because they often fixate on our website. Um, but the reality is our website, you, you come to our website, you register, and then we have some marketing pages and documentation or whatever, but that's not our service. Our service is our API. And so they're, they're totally fixated on the, these bugs of the website, but never on our actual real service. Because you can tell they're not actually understanding what our business is or, or even trying to. They're just running some scanner software. So do you, do, and, you and do you tell them that there's some things that you will pay bounties for and some things that you consider not worth reporting or not? Not yes, exactly. Um, or, or for example, like we use several third-party services. So, so we have like a, a a status dashboard that shows like you know is is our service up and and how what are the uptime numbers, whatever. And we do do that via a service called Status Cake. And Status Cake lets you have your own domain on there, so it's status.implication.com. And people keep reporting bugs to that. And I, I write, I, you know, I write back like, look, and it's good to know about that, but like. That's not my service. Mm. Like you need to report it to status. So like I don't need more people sending me crap about that. Like they need to send it to status cake. And I forward some of them on to status cake. But again, it's almost always very superficial things. Yeah. Um it's never it, like we have not yet ever had a report of like a real like security issue. Um but that's what I mean. Like people aren't actually they're just running some scanner software. They're not really thinking through your service. Did you ever actually um, get a more professional person to do a security audit of your site or your application? No, we never did. Uh, that's never because, because again, we're uh, I have an API that gives away free <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's it's not you know if I had 
I think in your case with feature upload, I guess you have user profiles and people are registering and interacting with the site. It might make more sense, right? And particularly if, if you want to make sure it's kind of like, you know, if you have a company internal dashboard and they're very worried about the, the, the content of the dashboard appearing in the public or something, then it would make much more sense. But um, in our case, I'm not sure it makes sense. So what about you? How, what's your experience? Have you ever been approached by people like this or, or how do you approach security? It's an interesting question. I started getting a spate of these so-called security consultants who mostly had the same surname, really strangely, in early 2019, and they actually identified real problems. Amazingly, it was a bug I had introduced in a code change just a month earlier. It was something that allowed people to post a suggestion or a piece of feedback to somebody else's account, no, or to actually approve it to as moderated in someone else's account from any account. And it's a bad bug, and we fixed it straight away. The amazing thing is how quickly this was discovered after the bug got in there. And that made me wonder if these things were actually happening, these attacks or gratis security things were happening all the time without me being aware of it until the problem was there for people to report. Well, if you ever look in your in your web you know, your web server logs, I'm sure you'll see tons of requests coming in for like common WordPress extensions and things like that. I mean, there's tons of software out there that's just continually scanning for these known bugs. All day, right? every day, to the point yeah. in which it's useless to go through our logs to look for 404s to see if there's something wrong with our software, because it's just this complete ocean of uh, people trying to exploit known WordPress security problems, and we don't want to run on WordPress. So. Right, that would be weird, of course, mm. but... Um, so I actually realized this was a, a real issue that uh, it's very easy to introduce bugs into a system and it's very easy for people to exploit them or find them. So I realized then I needed to do something about this and I introduced a, a responsible disclosure policy, I called it. So it's not a bug bounty program. We don't pay people. We will accept their reports and we will give them credit by putting their name on our website, on our page. We're very, very explicit. We do not pay money. But and I did that under advice that if we did say we would pay money, we would start getting a flood of emails every day or every week from people reporting this exactly the type of things you say. You know, uh, it's showing a server version or blah, blah, blah. Right, right. Well, I don't know. We'll see. We posted, we went live with this about a week ago. I can't say we've had any increase in volume. Good. Uh, uh, so that being said, we like I said, we've been working with people like this for like a year now. So I feel like many all the common cases we've dealt with um but well that, that's a tricky one I, I you know when we think about security I, I see kind of two big categories of things that you can get affected by one is you introduce some logical error in your code which yeah. sounds like is what you're describing but yep. i think the far more common issue is just you're running um you know nowadays the percentage of the code of your service that you write is very small right yeah Much of it is yeah. You're, you're relying on open source software or whatever, or various libraries or your hosting with someone. And, and so that's the much bigger area where I'd be concerned about. And so we try to do a lot there to like make sure we're always staying up to date, having alerts, you know, setting aside time regularly to, to make sure we're upgrading. And, um, and actually a friend of mine in London, there's a woman I worked with um, many years ago. She has a startup um, specifically designed to work on this. It's called Materium. And what they will do is that they'll scan your code for the, the open source libraries that you rely on. 
mm-hmm. and they have a huge database of all the known bugs and things like that. And they'll give you the alerts and say, like, you know, did you know this library has an issue or that library has been compromised or whatever. And so, you know, make sure you upgrade this and that. Um, and it's a big issue, especially in like big companies where you're pulling, you know, imagine you're pro- you have a team of 20 programmers that are programming in five different programming languages using thousands of different, uh, different uh, modules. Lang- languages and libraries, and libraries yeah. Exactly. And, and I see that as the bigger problem. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that it does sound like a bigger problem. Like maybe sometimes one percent of the of the entire code is what we write, and ninety nine percent. I wouldn't be surprised if it's something like that. Ninety nine percent are libraries, especially if you're doing JavaScript stuff. Huh? Those guys just have libraries for everything. Yeah, and well, yeah. that's the the, yeah. the canonical criticism of Node or whatever. That, yeah. you know, to do the hello world, it takes five hundred megabytes or whatever. So right. since I um, since since I introduced this responsible disclosure policy, we do get people right, and okay. uh, with with bug reports or what they maybe bug reports, and I write back to them if I think it is a genuine one. I say thanks. Would you like to be mentioned on our website? And they almost always don't want to be mentioned on the website. Really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the the guys we've dealt with are all very keen to get on the website. So we also list people if we accept someone's bug and actually pay them, then we. Um, we list them, and you're assuming they're okay with it, of course. Um, and no, they seem really motivated by that. I don't know. I mean, the guys I follow, so so one or two of them I now follow on Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. And they're quite open about um, their successes and, and stuff, one guy particularly. And, you know, he seems to make a good amount of money. Um, okay. If I, can, if I can believe what I'm on. You know, I don't know where he lives in Mumbai or something. If I can believe any of the information in his profile, who knows. But... Um, you know, every other day he's kind of posting on there, oh, I get, you know, 100 euro bounty, $50 bounty or whatever. And, you know, for a 18-year-old kid in India. Goes a long way. He's probably, he's probably doing okay. So. so there's something else I wanted to mention about what we do or have done with Feature Upvote, at least. We don't yet do this with Saber Feedback, but we will. I pay a security consultant to review our security, including giving them access to the source code so they can review the source. I did this when Feature Upvote was very new. I hadn't done web development for a few years and I felt not quite confident enough to be sure of, of the code being following modern best practices in terms of security. And it was worth every cent. It was expensive, especially at the time when I had close to zero revenue from Feature Upvote, but uh, it really was worthwhile a whole lot of problems were identified. Oh, right. Fantastic. Do you then publicize this? Is something something you tell your customers about and you say like, oh, we've been certified by this guy? Or is it more just so you actually just find the bugs and are aware of them? Interesting. You assume it was a guy. It was actually a girl. All right. Okay. Yeah. Which is, you know, the kind of mental image you have of a security hacker or a security consultant is, is a guy, right? Right. Yeah. But she did ask not to be identified. I think I, I can mention gender, but anything else about her, she it's best that they, they don't get identified. So it was a friend of a friend or type of situation that got me in touch with her. What does something like that cost, roughly? I mean, because I could imagine if she has to go through line by line through your software, that, you know, that takes a lot of time. Yeah, we didn't have much code then. It was some thousands. Hmm. Single fit. Okay, like, so. Yeah, I think we got a good price, but uh, yeah, a couple of thousand maybe. Uh, I, don't actually remember off the top of my head. Uh, we do say on our security page on our website that we regularly, that we frequently conduct security audits. That was the only time we did one that comprehensive where we went through all the source code. 
It was really great. She identified some real problems, not real problems, but some really interesting things that were educational to me. Some of them were like minor. She she rated everything in terms of severe, major, minor, or nice to have. And then I just started working through the list from the top to the bottom. Yeah, I, I so I think that that's probably a good idea, particularly if you're a solo developer, because it's yeah. very easy to um, if, if you only have one set of eyes looking at things. This is kind of exactly what my friend's startup is trying to automate, I guess, to a degree. Okay. Is that they, you know, obviously they're not going to be able to understand your source code, but they can, you know, with automated software, you can catch many best practices and or worst practices and and at least flag them up and things like that. I think GitHub has also made a lot of a lot of efforts on this in the in recent years where they try to like generate alerts for you and tell you like, oh, you know, you're relying on library X and, and that has been compromised or whatever. So oh, um, I didn't know that. I, I, I was aware of them identifying if you share your AWS private key or something. I didn't yeah, know I didn't know they were scanning more than that. That's that's really nice. I, well, I take it it's, as a, it's more like they, they just say like, oh, you're you're using this sub library and that you know there's a new version of it due to a security issue. You might want to upgrade or things like that. So sometime soon, I'm going to see if I can get the same security consultant to uh, go through um, Saber feedback. Here's an interesting thing: uh, she doesn't want to review feature upvote more than once. Why? Uh, she says that every person, every security consultant has their own angle and they become blind to things they've seen or recommended in the past. So I, I, I think this is a bad business decision on her behalf. Well, so, no, so far we've got, she doesn't want to be mean. She doesn't want to do the work twice. I mean, this is, you know, I'm all for a contrarian strategy, but, but um, this is... Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure this is going to be good for business. <laughs> no, not at all. Another thing I do is my system admin, he's a freelancer who does I don't know, five or 10 hours a month. He goes through uh, logs every month to see if there's anything suspicious, any spikes in traffic, anything, any errors that we're not identifying that haven't come up elsewhere. Um, and so on to make sure that we're following, you know, we don't have any stray user accounts we shouldn't be having in AWS, all that type of thing. And I, I like that as a real proactive approach to just making sure you don't have security holes where you shouldn't have them. Yeah, I think the key point there is, uh, you know, it's like anything. It's something you need to set time aside for and make sure you're on a regular schedule once a quarter or whatever, either yourself or, you know, someone you bring in to, to review and make sure you haven't, uh, make sure you're, you're, Having some sanity checks absolutely makes sense. Yeah, yeah this is getting so, back to that episode we did uh, some months ago of um, like healthy habits for bootstrap. Healthy habits. Well, that's why we have a security thing. What about on the customer side? Have your customers ever questioned your security or anything like that? that <laughs> okay, Ed, you're half German, right? Um, I'll try not to be uh, doing broad stereotypes, but. Germans. <laughs> right. okay. it's, it's actually the uh, some of our German customers keep us on our toes. They keep us um, on the money, which I really appreciate. They're the ones who really want to know, for example, where our servers are based um, and more about our GDPR policy, GDPR policy, and so on, our privacy policy. Uh, well, sometimes they'll actually ask about specific points in our policies, and I like this. Yeah. Well, you know, as you know, we moved our company from the UK to Germany, and it, I would say it definitely has led to an increase in German customers. I mean, 
German people like to buy from Germans and like to, um, you know, where none of our policies change, none of our software change, but for whatever reason, it gives them more confidence. So. Hey, I should have asked your opinion on this before I went and headed it and commissioned it to be done. We're moving our AWS service from the US to Europe. Right. And we're doing that because a couple of times we've actually lost out on new feature upvote customers because kind they didn't. Exactly. They wanted the data to be hosted on um, service in the European Union. Yeah. Um, yeah. Makes sense. Okay. Makes sense to you. I was kind of wondering. The first time it was requested, I thought, well, if we do this, maybe then we get someone in America saying, well, we're not going to use you if the data's not in America. But does that ever happen? Actually, it's funny you mentioned that because this week, for the first time ever, we did have someone say that. Someone in the U.S. asking, is the information, and you know, we want the data to stay in the U.S. We have had that discussion sometimes with, um, sometimes in the U.S., the only category where it's an issue is healthcare people. Uh-huh. So people are, is, you know, trying to, they have data connected to patients or something like that. And that's the one area where the U.S. is kind of strict, I think. Um, but it definitely uh, European customers, you know, it's, it's like a checkbox on, on their form, you know, is, does yeah. the data leave the EU? If you, if you, you know, if you say no, then it's check and they move on to the next thing. But if you say yes, then it's like a huge red flag. So, yeah, you're definitely better off having some servers in the EU. Absolutely. A German, a German would-be customer last month actually told me this is a deal breaker. Sure. Uh, so that's when I thought, well, you know, it's not the first time I've been asked. We had uh, investigated doing it last year, and now it's time to do it. So I think in the next week or two, we'll be moving everything to to the European Union. Yeah, there's no reason not to because it's it's the kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. You can imagine if you're a middle manager at some some big German company or European company. You know, his nightmare scenario is there's a GDPR issue of any yeah. sort that he has to then report. So, yeah. you know, it's much easier to just say, no, data can never leave the EU than, than to say, than to try to understand, oh, where is the data? Is it safe? Oh, it's actually fine. You know, he doesn't want to do that. He just wants to be able to say, check, it, it's in the EU. So. I agree. Okay, Ed, I think it's time to wrap up today's episode. So, as always, it's been a pleasure having a conversation on these issues. Well, I hope you stay safe and secure, and all of our listeners as well. And uh, maybe at some point you'll be back in the EU. That would be so. wonderful. Like the data and feature update. <laughs> okay, see you, Ed. See ya. Bye. Bye, listeners. That concludes this episode of Future Trapped. You can discuss this episode and other bootstrapping topics on our forums at discuss.bootstrapped.fm.